Shalom, welcome to Hachayim's Garden of Amuna class, weekly Garden of Amuna class. And uh, as you saw in the invite, it went out tonight. The topic is Garden of Amuna, faith of the hanging man. Why are we talking about the hanging man? Because this week's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion talks about that someone who was put to death by one of the four capital punishments. So certain ones, actually, they uh, need to be hung after death. It's not one of, one of the four capital punishments is not, is not hanging. Um, but there's the law about hanging a person. And Rashi tells us that the verse says, you may not let the person hang over overnight. Uh, it's verse, it's chapter 22 verse 23 so it begins in verse it begins in verse 22 that when a person has a sin um the death penalty and he was put to death you will hang him on the tree and then the next verse 22 says you shall not let his carcass his body hang overnight but you should take him down before nighttime and bury him okay so I want to share with you two thoughts that our sages teach us about this verse. And then we're going to talk about just a perception of faith from this interesting mitzvah of that one does not hang overnight. So the first thing I'd like to share with you is a simple Rashi. And like I told you, it's in chapter 21. I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. 22 is the mitzvah that the person's body should be hung and verse 23 is that you're not allowed to leave it overnight so on verse 23 i want to share with you rashi rashi focuses on the verse that says that why are you not allowed to let the carcass of a person who sinned and was put to death by the death penalty hang overnight because kilas comes with curse over here we're going to soon see that it's the embarrassment the shame uh, of God is hanging. Very interesting. Why do we say that it is the embarrassment the, the, of God? So Rashi says, it is the shame of the king. Why? And he goes out and he says, because what do we remember in Genesis? In Genesis we're taught that God created man in the image, in his image and likeness. So he goes on to say, an example. He says, being that the Jewish people are his children, so he says, it's a metaphor of two brothers that were twins that looked alike. One became a minister and one became a thief, a highway bandit. And they caught the bandit. And what happened? They hung him. And whoever saw the bandit hanging said, look, the minister is hanging. They were identical twins. And what happens then? That is what it means that it is the shame of God that the Jewish person is hanging, and therefore there is a prohibition, this week's Torah portion, that you're not allowed to hang a person overnight. So I shared with you a Rashi. And I tell you again that that's chapter, the last verse in chapter, in this week's Torah portion, Kitetse, chapter 21, verse 23. One, bear that in mind, please, for tonight's class. Another, another thing I want to share with you. Very interesting. What I'm about to share with you is a eulogy that was made by the great Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, of blessed memory. 
It was a eulogy that he made for, I believe it was Rab Moshe Kardova, the Ramak, famous Kabbalist who had, who was in Sfat at the time, who was uh, the leader of a Kabbalistic circle, which Darizal joined. And he gave a, he gave a eulogy for the Ramak based on this verse. And what does he say? He says as follows. He says that when you see, very interesting teaching, when you see a man who died and you don't understand how this man died, we know that death comes from sin. Sin attaches itself to the human and sin must die and therefore humans die. You see a person who has no sins and you're wondering why did this man die? The next part of the verse says, Vitalita Otoala eats, you will hang it on the tree. Over here he's there are Rizal's eulogy for the holy Ramak, Ramosha Kardava was that this man should not have died. Death has to do with sin, and this man has never sinned. But if you see a man who we don't understand why he died, Vitalita Oto you shall hang his death, the cause of death, Allah eats on the tree. Which tree is Arizal talking about? The tree of knowledge, the original sin. That means the only reason why this person died is because Adam ate from the tree. And God told Adam that the day you will eat from the tree, you will die. And our sages tell us that what really that meant was that he actually brought death upon the human race. The human race was not supposed to experience death. So therefore, when you see a righteous man who has no sins and he died, you should realize that the reason why he died, vitalito tola etz, hang the reason for his death on the tree. I just aside for a moment, the Rebbe Blessed Memory has an unbelievable teaching on this story of Darizal. The Rebbe talks about that the Talmud also talks about such a thing. But the Talmud's words were different. They spoke of seven people that died from the bite of the snake, from the serpent. Seven people who never sinned, and the only reason they died was because of the bite of the serpent. And the Rebbe focuses on the different language from the Talmud versus the Arizal's eulogy. The Talmud talks about the bite of the snake. The serpent is bad. The bite is bad. While the Arizal talks about hanging on the tree. The tree is which? The tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge is not bad. And the Rebbe focuses on the details of the different terminology they use to say the same point. They're both trying to say the same thing. The Talmud is saying that those seven people didn't sin. They died only because of Adam and Eve's sin. Arizal is saying the same thing about Rabbi Moshe Cordova but they use very different words. Very interesting. Not for tonight's class. Tonight's class I want to focus on, as you saw in the title, the faith of a hanging man. Let's talk about the Rashi's words. Rashi's words are very interesting. He's saying here that we are born, we are created in the image of God, and when we're hanging, he uses the metaphor that the person who sees the thief hanging because he is an identical twin to their minister, their leader, and therefore what are they saying? They're saying, it's the, look, the minister is hanging. 
So I, I just want to, and again, this is not, I'm not sharing with you a teaching of the Rebbe, which I'm telling you this is the way it is because the Rebbe said it. I'm just sharing with you some raw thoughts that were going through my mind. What kind of man are we talking about who looks like an identical twin to God? A sinner. What kind of sinner? If you look into the teachings in Mesech the Yuma, you talk about the, the laws, the chapters of Teshuva, the Alter Rebbe quotes from that tractic. And what does we see there? We see there that there are different levels of sin. There's not doing a mitzvah that you were supposed to do. There's doing a, an action you weren't supposed to do within itself that comes in levels. There are those that are punishable with lashes, those that are punishable with spiritual death, two types of spiritual death, and then there are those that are punishable with physical death. So we're talking about someone who sinned and what kind of sin did this man perform? The type of sin which was one of the capital punishments in the Torah. So let's just pay attention for a moment what Rashi is telling us. Rashi is telling us that this person who committed such a horrible sin is an identical twin of God, so much so that when that person is hanging, we're not going to give grace to God that God is eradicating evil. Rather, we're going to see a shame and a disgrace in God because we're going to be pointing and saying, look, a piece of God is hanging. Just want to focus clearly on what Rashi is saying. We read through Rashi, it's a beautiful teaching, it's a metaphor. Let's stop for a moment. Rashi is telling us the reason why we have to take this person's body down is because this person is an identical twin of God, so much so that when we see that person hanging, what are we going to say? The minister is hanging. And in the met metaphor, the minister refers to God. The twin brother refers to the Jew who sinned such a sin that he was actually found guilty and executed by capital punishment. And why are we so worried? We hang him right before, again, we hang the carcass. He's not, you're not, the, the hanging is not one of the four capital punishments. But we have the carcass hanging. We hang the carcass right before sunset, immediately take him down. And this we did both things. We hung him and we did the mitzvah of taking it down before sunset. Because the verse said, Lotalin, you're not allowed to leave him overnight. And why are we so careful? Because looking at this person and seeing this person hanging is a disgrace to God because this person is created in the image of God and he's an identical twin of God. Somehow, somewhere, this horrible sin that stained his soul so badly that there was no other choice but capital punishment somehow did not leave any type of mark which would make it a clear distinction between the two identical twins. If there would have been any distinctive mark between the two identical twins, there wouldn't have been a shame. If the thief had his right hand missing or two fingers of his left hand missing, it wouldn't have been a disgrace for the minister because everyone would have noticed, no, 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 that's not the minister, that's the thief. Can't you see he's missing his left arm? Right arm. He's missing his two fingers on his left arm. So that means that somewhere and somehow Rashi is telling us something so deep. Rashi is telling us that regardless of everything that this person did, 
he or she is still a spitting identical image of God, so much so that hanging him would be a disgrace to God because people would say, look, God is hanging. Put this just in perspective. Just put some perspective, and I don't want to use any names in our recording, but we know that unfortunately in the last uh, recent history, there were individual Jewish figures that made a huge disgrace with financial crimes. It was all over the place. Hurt a lot of other Jews, hurt a lot of charity funds, and it goes on and on. The person I don't think was Shomer Shabbat, I don't think he was keeping kosher. I don't think he walked around with a yarmulke with tzitzis hanging out of his pants. And yet everyone referred to him as Jewish. Just putting things in perspective, what Rashi is saying here. To the mass population, there was no difference between this Jew and Yankala sitting in Yerushalayim learning Torah and doing good deeds. Just put in perspective what it means that Rashi is telling us. A person sins, and nevertheless, he still has no identifying mark that would separate his identity from God's identity. I want to play around a little bit, if I may. And I'm, I'm saying, telling you that I want to play around so that I may do this, so that we don't put this on Darizal. But let's play a little bit with Darizal's eulogy. Arisa was talking about the Ramak. Arisa was talking about a tzaddik par excellence. We're not talking about tzaddikim. Can we play with his words and say it a little differently? And if you see a Jew sinning and you're wondering how in the world could a Jew sin, hang it onto the tree. Because if it wasn't for the tree, a Jew could not sin. Just like the flow of water cannot go from earth to heaven, it's going to come the other way around. It's just gravity, nature. The Jew would not sin. I mean, this is not what Arizal said. He was talking about the Ramak, a tzaddik. I'm just playing with his words a little bit. I think that maybe him and Rashi might be saying the same thing if we just look at their words a little differently. So what I'm playing with his words is I'm saying... Let's reread that verse. And when you see a man sinned, and you just don't get it, how could a creation created in the image and likeness of God, how could he sin? How could she have done that? It's just against their genetics, against their nature, against everything. Quote the Alter Rebbe, says many times in Ayyam Yom and in Sikhs from the Rebbe, it always says the name of the Alter Rebbe, repeated by my father-in-law, the Rebbe would always say by Medrebbe, my Rebbe, my father-in-law, previous Rebbe, that a Jew, not he can, nor does he want to separate himself from God. Definition of sin is separation. That's exactly the definition of sin. So you're looking at a Jew and you're asking, how did you do that? How did you go against every fiber of your genetics, nature, natural flow, whatever it may be? There's a reason why we're doing this now. Let's talk about Rashi. Let's see what Rashi has to say. So a murderer, a mass murderer, a rapist, a thief, uh, whatever you want to say, who was hung, is a spitting image of God. I want to play with Rashi's words. <laughs> Playing with everyone's words tonight. Let's play with Rashi's words a little bit. 
Maybe what Rashi is telling us is that the minute the death sentence took place and the minute that rectified whatever the sin did to his soul, what's left? A spitting image of God. Let's talk about a verse. Yitamu chatoyim. We pray to God that he may wipe away the sins. And what do our sages say? Chatoyim v'loy hachoytim. The sins but not the sinners. So if you have a Jew created in the image and likeness of God, that Jew sinned and now he's carrying a stain and then he was executed for whatever, whatever, execute over here, I don't mean actually death. Whatever the teshuva tikkun process is, whether it was the lashes, whether it was fasting, whether it was the death penalty, whatever it is. But what's the process of retribution according to Kabbalah? It's not God having the last laugh. We don't have that type of God. I actually heard something from uh, a recovering lady that really sticks with me. <laughs> she said, before I went to recovery, I had a neurotic God. That's a very interesting statement to think about. When we talk about a God retribution, what do we mean retribution? In the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, we know that punishment is the same thing like koshering a kitchen. You kosher a kitchen by taking the flavor of the non-kosher out the way it was put in. That which we use in cooking, hot water, needs to be put into hot water. That which was used in the oven, it needs to be used in an oven. That which was used with oil, which is hotter than water, water can't help. You need to match. The way the stain went in, the stain comes out. And that's why in Kabbalah, there's actually two forms of hell. I love this when people ask me, do Jews believe in hell? And I always tell them, actually, we have two hells. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, in Kabbalah it says there's a hell of fire and there's a hell of snow. Gehenim shall age, Gehenim shall shalik. Because there's two different processes in koshering the soul. One, it needs to be kosher from the apathy to that which it needed to do and it didn't do. And the other, it needs to be kosher from the foreign passion which made it do what it shouldn't do. Two different hells. And it's simple. It's because hell is not a punishment. Hell is a cleansing process. And when you learn Kabbalah, getting to hell is already three quarters of the journey. Because you learn in Tanya, before that, there's Kafakela, there's this other stuff, Chibadakever. But it's all about the cleansing process. That's all it is. It's not about, I know these people, there are some interesting black hatters that salivate over the thoughts of worms eating you up and punishments. I, I was not brought up that way. I don't salivate over those things. They don't really find them interesting at all. And uh, if only they would be able to place upon me fear of God, I'd be a lot better off. But the bottom line is that when you get to it, you have to realize that punishment and retribution is not you enjoy yourself too much and now we have to hurt you. That's not, we don't have an erotic God. What we do have is a cleansing God. So go back to Rashi. So the person, whoever, for whatever reason, he committed a sin, which is actually now left with the only tikkun, the only koshering process that can take this stain of this sin out of the soul is through death. But once death did take place, and the koshering of the soul, the cleansing of the soul did take place, what are you left with? Go back to the metaphor. You're left with an identical twin to God. And if hanging is part of the cleansing process, then the minute he or she was hung, what's left then? I don't think there's a she. He is hung. 
What's left then? What's left then is the perfect cleansed identical twin of God. Immediately it needs to be taken down. So there's a very interesting teaching in the faith of a hanging man. A very interesting teaching in what Ariza is telling us. To begin with, you should know that this person sinned only because of something his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather did, which brought a cancerous cell into his being, which actually works against the actual genetics of the body's immune system and all that. So the natural disposition of the Jew is not to sin. It would have been impossible to have sinned if Adam and Eve would not have done that with the tree. And then you have this Rashi's teaching that the minute the person was cleansed from sin, he's once again a spitting image of God. Take him down, you're embarrassing God. Kill him. What is hanging? The shame of God is hanging. I want to play with this one more step, if I may. I, I'm using the word play, and I'm using it very specifically. When I tell you something that, I, that was written by one of the Rebbes or one of our sages, I don't, I don't talk in doubt. I tell you my own stuff, just take it for face value. Tonight, I'm, for whatever reason, talking my own stuff. I want to play a little bit more with Arizal's words. So... I'm trying to veer away from the eulogy of a perfect tzaddik. I'm trying to understand the life of a, very, a person who's very far from being a tzaddik. And what we're saying here is that according to the teachings of Kabbalah, Chabad Hasidus, it's impossible for a Jew to sin. It is physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, metaphysically impossible for a Jew to sin were it not for the tree of the sin that Adam and Eve had with the tree of knowledge. You want to put a text out there, you know, in the, uh, the books for dummies always have that little symbol for techies. For techies out there, it really works tzimtzum, the moon being made smaller, and then Adam sin. Those three steps is what made possible for Jews to sin. If not, Jews would not have sinned. But just focusing for a moment. So it's on the tree. It's all about the tree, right? So we played around a little bit with Arizal's eulogy. And what are we saying here? If you see a person who sinned and you wondered how is it possible that this Jew should ever, any Jew should ever sin, you should know it's only because of what happened with the tree. And I told you I want to play a little bit more. You know, when you read the Chumash, you get a very interesting dialogue, right? Eve ate, Adam ate, they both went hiding in the garden, they heard the voice of God, they were ashamed. God said, Ayeka, where are you? And he answers, I heard your voice, and I was hiding because I was naked. And what happens, God tells Adam, and how do you know that you're naked? Did you eat from the tree of knowledge, which I told you not to eat from? And that's how the story goes down, right? There's a very interesting teaching from, from our sages that doesn't have Adam sounding like such a wimp. God asked him, did you eat from the tree? that I told you not to eat from. And according to this teaching, he said, I ate and I plan on eating more. Very interesting. Learn the teaching from the Rebbe Blessed Memory about this answer. Adam 
understood the purpose of creation. He understood God's desire. And he knew that God's desire could not be fulfilled until the Jew came in touch with evil. Because God's desire was that we should take every single part of this world, all the possibilities of this world, including all the dark possibilities, and we should transform it all into an abode for God, a home for God. And thus the real transformation, the ultimate transformation of turning darkness into light would not happen unless a Jew came in contact with darkness and then the teshuvah brought that piece of darkness back to light. And thus, Adam tells God, I ate from it and I plan on eating more. And why did Adam say this? And why was Adam doing it? For the glory of God. So much so in the specific teaching that I learned from the Rebbe on this, the Rebbe questions, and if so, so why was he punished? What was bad? And the Rebbe's answer was the same answer that Samuel the prophet gave to King Saul when he brought back all Amalek's animals because he wanted to transform the animals of the worst nation, Amalek, into sacrifices. And God told, and Samuel the prophet said, Who asked you, just listen. You were told not to, don't. You had all the great intentions, Adam, but you were told not to. Why didn't you listen? Ah, you know what God wants and you have it all figured out. Let's quote a verse from last week's Torah portion. It's not your job to figure out black magic and what's supposed to happen, could have happened, would have happened. Just walk faithfully with God. God told you not to listen to what God said. So here's what I want to play with a little more. If this verse is telling us, if the eulogy of Darizal can be used to read to us, and if you want to know how a human being can sin, how is it possible for a Jew that was created in the image of God, the likeness of God, how is it possible that this person should sin, hang it onto the tree? And what I did until now with my playing around was pretty much what good codependents do. Blame it on Grandpa Adam. That's what made it possible. Let's play a little bit more. Let's talk about what happened with the tree. The reason why any Jew sins is because God pushes that Jew to sin so that Jew can go there and come back from there and transform what is there and bring back the greatest light that could exist, the light that comes from darkness. Because the light that comes from darkness can never be pushed away by darkness. It came from darkness. So if you think about maybe what Arizal is saying here about this verse, about the hanging man, if we can understand that the reason why any Jew ever sinned is because that Jew has a specific mission in life to bring back that dark alley to God. To bring back that negativity and transform it. There's a teaching from the Rebbe. He talks about freedom of choice and he focuses on a, on a teaching from our sages about the sin of Adam and Eve. He says, The verse says, How awesome is your plots against mankind. And what do they say there? They say that you plotted for Adam to sin. Adam was going to sin whether he liked it or not. Because you said that there's no death until Adam sins. 
and long before you created Adam and Eve, you already wrote in your Torah the entire laws of a person that, uh, that dies and comes in contact with you in the same room with a dead body and all those laws. That means you had laws of death written before Adam sinned, which means that Adam was going to hopelessly sin whether he liked it or not, because you were going to, by hook or crook, make him sin, because death was part of your plan. How awesome are the plots that God plots against mankind. That means that, just to tell it to you simply, I don't want to get into the whole deep discussion of freedom of choice versus what God already planned. So I'll just tell it to you simply what one of my teachers taught it to me. Foresight, freedom of choice, hindsight, divine providence. Before you sin, before I sin, we each know that we have full, full control of whether we're going to sin or not. Once we've sinned, we need to look back and realize we were meant to do this sin. And why were we meant to do this sin? It's not a, uh, what do they say, card plunge? What's, what's that word? A uh, card plunge to sin. But rather is to realize that the reason why you did this sin is because you are the only person that can do teshuva and transform this specific sin into the ultimate light. So when you look at yourself in your mirror and you ask yourself, how in the world did I sin? How? How did I ever do something like that? And the answer is, hang it on the tree. It's possible because of the tree of knowledge. Its purpose is because of the tree of knowledge. Its purpose is in other that we should sin and bring that back. I'm going to go one step further and then let's make it practical. The first Rashi's in the, in the Chumash it plays with the word Bereshit. Bereshit in the beginning, and Rashi says the famous teaching, Bet Reshit, it's because of two Reshits, and it brings verses. What are the two Reshit? One Reshit is called Torah. The other Reshit, which is the first fruits of the garden of God, is the Jew. And why did Bereshit, Bar Elakim, et Aretz, the reason why God created the heaven and earth is for these two Reshit, that the Jew should be able to take the Torah mitzvah and fulfill it here in the physical world. And that's why God created the world. That's a very interesting teaching. So, the reason why Elohim, God, created heaven and earth is so that the two reshit should meet together and fulfill destiny. The Jew should take the physical thing and use it for Torah and mitzvot, and thus it becomes a holy Bet Migdash. The entire world becomes one holy Bet Migdash to God. So, the reason why the world was created was for Torah and mitzvot. I saw another teaching of the Rebbe, where the Rebbe actually explains that the real reason why the world was created was not for Torah and Mitzvot. Torah and Mitzvot did exist prior. We know the famous teaching that 2,000 years before the world created, there was Torah and Mitzvot. And Torah and Mitzvot don't just have physical manifestations, they have spiritual manifestations. The souls in the Garden of Eden are learning Torah and they're learning it on a very different level. They're not learning about six physical days with six physical work. It's different. So why was the world created? Because if Torah and mitzvah did exist, even in the supernal crown, the will of God, the wisdom of God, then it's not new. If it's not new, then that isn't the purpose of creation. And the Rebbe says there, in that specific teaching, that the reason why Torah Mitzvot was created was for Teshuvah, the reason why the world was created was for Teshuvah. Teshuvah did not exist pre 
creation. And when you think about that, you go back to the way I'm playing around with Arizal's eulogy, things start clicking very, very amazingly for this month of Elul. So the whole reason the world was created was not for the Jew that would never sin and only do Torah and mitzvot. It would be for the simple, even though there's Teshuvah of a tzaddik, which is a total different level, that's a total different spiritual level. But simply speaking, if we say that the world was created for Teshuvah, it means that there would be a Jew who would sin, fall into darkness, fall under darkness, be absorbed within darkness, and then do Teshuvah and take that very darkness and turn it around and transform it into light. And thus we'll have a light that did not exist pre-creation, the light which came from darkness. And the eulogy all of a sudden becomes very personal. When you see a person, and we're talking about the person in the mirror, when you see a person who sinned and is totally locked in shame, totally self-disgusted, disgusted with self, how? How did I sin? Created in the image of God. Created in the likeness of God. How? And you answer yourself, The reason why I sinned is because of the tree. What does that mean? Okay, so on a first level, a slightly immature level, not my fault. On a deeper level, the reason why you and I sin is the same reason why Adam chose to sin. Let's get it even deeper than that. The reason why you and I sin is because that's the reason why God created the world, you and me. So that I can sin, get in touch, be absorbed, swallowed up by darkness. And then take that darkness that has become one with me and transform it into light. That didn't exist pre-creation. Not 2,000 years before and not any time before. And thus we go back to Rashi. Once we do do what we have to do, then all that's left is that a beautiful twin of God. And here we're talking about a twin of God not because this man is righteous just and God is righteous, but because we're talking to, about a Jew which has activated the essence of his being, which is the essence of God which can transform darkness into light. In closing, this call today, someone running a, a team program, and she told me she wanted to kick up a conversation. She didn't want to have a monologue. She wanted to have the teams, the teens, a dialogue and interaction. I said, what topic would you pick? And I said, in the month of Elul, I would pick a topic with teens. Do you believe in forgiveness? Do you believe God forgives? And see how teens talk about it. And then she said, good, but then I have to finish it off with, you know, some solid answer. I said, well, the answer is, why do you believe in, in forgiveness? And the answer why we who study Chassidus, believe in forgiveness, is everything we just spoke about. Because beneath it all lies an unbelievable identical twin of God. Beneath it all lies an unbelievable identical twin of God that is driven by God to go where people can't go 
in order to transform what people cannot transform. And when you see it that way, how can you think that God would not forgive you? That's all for tonight, guys.